Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mikey Mikem, DDS. <laughs> and I am Isaac Shankum, <laughs> DDS. Yours is better. Yours is so much better. Welcome to episode 163, SummerSlam 1995. Face the heat, DDS. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta get the DDS, but Shankum is so much better. I should have known better and picked a different one. I just think it's so funny that after all this time, we've had two close oh, yeah. to each other now that were the same thing. I could have been Micah Kaya or uh, Mikey uh, Merst Melmsley. Mikey Kaya. <laughs> I figured Shane was gonna go with the Shangdanas. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, or the, his, I think his was Or the even best. worse, the Body Shanes. <laughs> no. I think that Isaac Shankum. Nobody is wants very a body Shane's. Shankum's good. I didn't even think of. It's a, it's a wordplay on body Hunter Shane. Hunter Hearst. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't think of it yet. <laughs> well, they'll be around. There's always next time. That's true. We haven't seen the last of old we'll, we'll Sonny and Skip. This is, the, this is the first of our Donna's, not the last. Yes. We've got plenty of sunny days ahead of us. <laughs> glorious. Uh-huh. Glorious. Uh, sunny days. Sunny days. <laughs> If anyone should have the theme song, it's glorious. <laughs> but hey, we're uh, this is the eighth annual SummerSlam, produced by the WWF. It would take place on August twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five, at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The dog days of summer. Does that make sense? Is that right? I don't know. It's hot. It's that's hot. The, that's in the right August. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Four days after my eighteenth birthday. Oh, nice. There would be an attendance of 18,062 people and a buy rate of 205,000 people. Hmm. I think that's just a little under than the maybe the first um, in your house. But hey, it's still a good number. It's one of the big four. Uh, and the in this, your buy, house this buy rate was down. Yeah, but I think the other one was like 215 or something, which was, I think, pretty good. But it's also half the price. Yeah. Might as well check it out. He had OJ wearing people out at the time, so they were probably at home watching a Bronco chase or something. Mm, yes. Somewhere around then. That's my dream car. A Bronco? Oh, a white Bronco? Yes. Like these, the, the, the new Broncos that they have, I'm not mad at those. Oh, no, they I don't. I kind of like them. They actually look kind of cool, but I, would, I want like, you know. Yeah. The, I want the OG. You want the real deal. I want the real deal. You want the OJ, not the, the OG. OJ. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> But we're back in Pittsburgh. Yes, we are. Which is the same state as Philadelphia. Yes, it is. Hmm. So, Shane, what did you bring us this week? Well, you know, I'm trying to think of different things from the Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area because we're in that area so, so frequently. And I thought to myself... What do I got to do to find something new? What would you do? What would you do? And then it was just like the answer was crystal clear right in front of me. What would you do? What would you do? 
for a Klondike bar. Exactly. Coincidentally, the Klondike bar was created in Pittsburgh. What? Yeah, I had no clue. Small freaking world. Mm. Not only you know do banana splits come from the area, but so do Klondike bars. And I, I had attempted to go to go for a more hearty offering with uh, some pierogies, but as is usually the case when I try and find stuff last minute, I can't find it. So luckily, Klondike bars are available pretty much damn near everywhere in all sorts of flavors. Uh, I went for the original flavor today, but they do have mint chocolate chip. I think there's a just there's regular a Reese's chocolate. One that's really good. Yeah, there's Heath, Reese's. I think Heath's a staple. I almost got Heath. I wish they had. I know I've seen them before where they have like a variety pack. Right. Oh wow! Well, I don't know if but I've seen a variety pack. It's a good idea. Target did not carry Fuck a variety Target. pack of them. So you know what? I never purchase these things, but every time I eat one, I'm like. Damn, there's a reason they've been around for so long. Mm-hmm. It's just like absolutely, it's so much uh, better than you remember it each time you have one. Yes, it's like oh, what what a like what a nice thing. The ice cream stays solid for pretty much the entire time you're eating it. The chocolate doesn't really melt, which is my my two main complaints on a lot of chocolate dip. Yeah, ice it holds together pretty well. The ice and cream I mean, melts too fast, and the chocolate yeah. is shit. Yeah, no, and, I am a slow eater, and uh, this I will. It gets like just messy enough at the end where I'm like, all right, that wasn't too bad. And I went as slow as I could with mine. Normally I wait and take a bite on the, the microphone, but I, I went as long as I could. But the ice cream still stayed nice and, and firm, and the chocolate still had a crunch to it every time I bought into or bit into it. So can't get mad. I mean, also kind of perfect size because like, you eat one and you're like, perfect amount. But sometimes you eat like, one of the normal... like chocolate cookie fake ice cream ice cream sandwiches mm. which are delicious but you're like i could eat another one of those but something but the klondike bar it's like oh like if i had another one of these i might need to take a nap yeah i but, mean there's there's more in the freezer there because i got a six pack but <laughs> if bring i a eat six too many of them yeah. that's the only six pack i would have a six or a klondike bars to it, the party it would be non-existent as well what would you do for a klondike bar i would pay like 350 or whatever it is for a six or yeah, I'm just coming to record a wrestling podcast. Exactly. Oh, yeah, just invite Shane. I would do. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd do that for for nothing. So you know, contact bars a bonus. That's true. I mean, you saw what I brought for the attempted snacks for WrestleMania. I should have just brought more of that stuff. Oh yeah. I still have some of it. We can just some do leftover WrestleMania snacks. I mean, the second night was uh, so bad. I think we just decided we didn't have an appetite anymore. Yeah, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even bust open my bag of onions until I got home. I guess so I could sit and eat in shame. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> try to for yeah. Try to like get, body uh, shaming, <laughs> shaming. Enough of those uh, sodium hangover to forget. <laughs> well, something that would happen right around the same time as SummerSlam, the same weekend, the second film of Robert Rodriguez's Mexico trilogy, Desperado, uh, would hit theaters. Something picking pants is. I don't remember. What song are you singing? The Desperado. Oh, that. That's gotcha. the Eagles. I know. It's it's, I know it's, it's the funny. Eagles. I know it's not in the movie. <laughs> the I'm sorry. I like In the City, but that's kind of more of a Joe Walsh song than anything. <laughs> Rob Rodriguez. Hit or miss, but sometimes uh, when he hits, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. Mexico Trilogy hits. Definitely. I should revisit them. I have not seen the second or third one since around like the time they came out and the first one I watched after seeing the other two like 
Yeah, so, Desperado, it's like, Desperado is basically a remake of El Mariachi. Okay, I was going to say it's El Mariachi, but Desperado, an version and then... Because yeah. El Mariachi is made with like a shoestring budget. Yeah. Like, you think that... What was the last one called? Once Upon a Time Once in Upon Mexico. a Time in Mexico, that's what it was, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I would like to go back and rewatch those. I mean, I like some Rodriguez stuff. Uh, I'm a defender of Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> And I think that movie yeah, is fun. Yeah, and I uh, never watched it. Uh, and I, um, of course, uh, everyone likes Dust Till Dawn. What a fun movie! Yeah, absolutely. Didn't he do one of the the the, the parts of Four Rooms? Yes. Yes, yeah. and then Planet Terror, of course, the and one of the half house, the one the better the, half, the the more exciting, half. the more coherent, the more half. the more exciting half for sure. But he also did Spy Kids. Yeah, which I've never seen That's those. Weird. And honestly, they look kind of fun. As a big fan and also a defender of the movie Speed Racer, I feel like Spy Kids is like another thing that is that kind of similarly uh, bizarre and doesn't give a fuck that I could potentially enjoy Spy Kids. But when those movies were coming out, I was in like high school. I had was I, I probably saw those commercials and was like, lame. But as an adult now who yeah. will give just about anything a chance, I could see myself Antonio enjoying Banderas it. Antonio Banderas was one of the parents in Spy Kids, right? I think so. Okay, yeah. Then it makes a little more sense now. I mean, they're, a, they're bros. A, a, Alexa Panvega <laughs> yeah. was the girl. And and she was like 12 when the, they first started in the first one. Now she's like, she was like... Carla Gugino or something like that the mom. Yes. And, yeah, it's like, oh, come on, bring it on, Carl. Carlo Giugino is uh, the second most attractive woman in the entire world, so I will not hear any slander. No, I mean, no. absolutely not. I couldn't, I couldn't argue it. No. She has what, I, what I refer to as jumbo yum-yums. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Sin City, right? Yes. Oh, I mean, right. come on, that's kind of... Is that his biggest hit? Like, I mean, probably monetarily? Monetarily, probably yes. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the Spy Kids movies actually. Yeah, they were big. Did hits. really well. Yeah, but they weren't. They were not marketed towards adults, even though they probably could be enjoyed by adults. I can't speak to them because I've not seen them. Yeah, he like had his entirely like studio like at his complex down in, in Austin because that's where they did uh, Lead a Battle Angel too. Because originally. Um, James Cameron had been developing it for a really, really long time, realized he couldn't do it because he was making 10 Avatar movies, and then just uh, kind of passed it off to his buddy Robert Rodriguez because he thought it would be a good fit, and nobody saw that movie, and we'll probably never get a sequel. But I think that movie is kind of fun. But it is also jarring in the way that a Speed Racer or Spy Kids probably is. Yeah, see, I haven't watched that one. I had to look up Carla Gugino just to make sure I was remembering the right girl because sometimes I get her confused with somebody else that I can't think of at the moment. But, yeah, yeah, I remember her from True Beverly Hills. So like literally course, his first Sama. his first few movies, like El Mariachi is kind of when he got put on the map. But Desperado that's like your, that's like your student film almost. Four Rooms from Dust Till Dawn, The Faculty. Oh, I yeah. didn't. I forget. I didn't realize that was his. It's a fun movie. And then he did the. What spy- if your teachers were aliens? <laughs> and then he did three Spy Kids movies before doing Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and then he just kind of starts doing. Then that's when he builds his studio, and most of his movies become the CGI, the CGI green screen stuff because yeah. he starts doing Sin City. 
That's probably why I became such good friends with uh, James Cameron. It's like, what if I built a whole city that I could make a movie in? Whereas James Cameron's like, well, my city is going to be wherever I want it to be because I made uh, Terminator 2 and Titanic. So I just can do whatever I want. But Rodriguez, you might have to deal in uh, some just a green screen warehouse. Yeah. Well, I build my city Un- on underwater. floating rocks. Yeah, well, I build Atlantis in the for, uh, for Avatar 3. I'm not gonna lie, I'm looking forward to the next Avatar Dude, just to see I'm what the so, hell he does. I'm so glad to hear that. Every time I bring up how if James Cameron says he's gonna make five Avatar movies, then I will be seeing five Avatar movies. People roll their eyes, and I'm like, "He's James Cameron. Look at his hit record. Exactly. Just let him do it." I mean, how I've many watched... times have you watched Avatar since the theater? Uh, twice. I enjoy it more every time. I've how? watched it several times. Uh, because I give in to the absurdity and fun of it. There's but a giant, the, but the draw of the movie is the cinematography that you could only get in a theater yes yes but i i think i enjoy the like uh, yeah, the absurdity tv it still looks good the absurdity and heavy-handedness of it and like the fact that like who cares about sense let's have fun how movies should be or I mean, especially it only has the worst actor in the world in it but, <laughs> but the the scene it towards the end where Which he's actor? in a giant where he's in a giant Sam mech Worthington. okay uh the bad guy's in a giant mech and his giant mech has a giant sheathed knife on his hip. It's not like part of him or whatever. And he unsheaths a giant knife from the side of his mech's hip to attack with it after he runs out of bullets. That's what I want, the energy I want out of almost every action movie. And it is so silly, but so fun. And I appreciate that. There's, there's, you know... An exquisite amount of detail in those silly little things. Yeah, fuck it, man. Like, we, like you want to make a comic book movie? Let's make it. Let's make it goofy, I mean, like a real comic. Let's get silly. I've watched Avatar several times since the theaters when Disney Plus first came out. That was the first thing I watched on it. Yeah, I I've watched every Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> Halloween, yeah, Child's yeah. Play. So you're why the hell would I not watch? Totally the, fine the next with getting a little Avatars. goofy. Um, if they made a Titanic Part Two, I'd watch Titanic Part Two. One of the first things I ever watched on Disney Plus was Fern Gully too. Oh, yeah, uh, see, what, one more, I like Fern Gully. Yeah. I like Pocahontas. I fell asleep in Pocahontas actually. But one more point to take us out of this. Last time I watched Avatar. You know how they have sex by tying their hair together or whatever? Mm-hmm. The same they, way that they write animals? The same way that they write animals? <laughs> Is that bestiality on screen? Yes. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> you got to have those risky storylines there oh. to, you know, to, to qualify for the Oscars. To quote the great Hank Hill, a horse is a beautiful animal. Mm-hmm. To quote the great Hank Hill, you ain't much, but you're all I got. I <laughs> Matt looks pretty upset. I usually agree with Matt on stuff, but I'm agreeing with you on Avatar, and I think it's blowing his mind. Come on. Let's get some on, on-air right. nucks. Boom. Well, let's talk SummerSlam. All right. The WWF logo followed by the SummerSlam logo flies by the screen before highlights and promos of competitors for the evening with narration. And what a logo it is. Don't you miss a, a good-looking logo? Mm-hmm. Stridex Pads presents Ooh. SummerSlam. Burn uh, your face yeah. off and watch Stri- er, Stridex. Burn your face off and watch SummerSlam. Yeah, face the heat. 
And if huh. you've never used a Stridex, that's Ooh. what you're missing. It's yeah, they, the, the burning sensation of they, rubbing that scratchy cotton pad on your you face. You should contact your doctor if you have a burning sensation. <laughs> they, uh, the Stridex pad stings even if you have a clean face with no zits or whatever. Yep. Yeah. It's like they somehow made alcohol 200%. <laughs> Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, and he is joined by Jerry the King Lawler on commentary. They preview the matches of the show before Vince tells us that Dean Douglas will be critiquing the matches and before sending it to the back. I know, and I was like, hell yeah, Dean Douglas, and I didn't quite know what you guys meant when you used the word. The word, Dean, I assumed the name. But the t- it's the title. It's the title. So yep. I'm going to pass it right back to you. He's educating the masses. <laughs> Douglas scratches the board, which was very annoying, before giving us the definition of Dean, an administrator in charge of counseling and disciplining his students, and says he's going to be conducting summer school tonight. You remember how much you love Shane Douglas? He's doing the best with what he's got here. We will give it to them that he looks pretty cute in the tiny glasses. Oh yeah, this this is uh, about what you get. Yeah, like considering how silly and lame the gimmick is, he really is doing the best job possible with it. It's just that the best job possible probably it just can't be enough. Yeah. You figure his brother was world champion or something, and that's mm-hmm. why they saddled mm-hmm. him with some stupid gimmick. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh. But we're headed straight to our first match. The one, two, three kid. One, two, three. Versus Hakushi. Hakushi. They call him the White Angel. I'm like, what a good name. Mm-hmm. He comes out in all white. He's got those tattoos. He's very stoic. Yep, he's got that, whatever the hat's called. Yeah, I always call um, it like a, a big rice trouble. patty. I, I, yeah. yeah, but like it's a, the, you know, it's the... I call it the Big Trouble in Little China hat. Japanese, or it's, it's like a Japanese farmer hat is what it is. Just keep the sun out of you while you're doing farm work. But... We know him, and we love him. Yeah. We haven't seen Hakushi since In Your House 1, episode 151. And then we are shown footage from Action Zone, where Barry Horowitz defeats Hakushi because of Skip and Sonny's interference. Bum, bum, bum. We're getting, uh... Yeah, like, we have not seen the Horowitz story yet, but it's... They're doing a good job of giving it to us right in the pay-per-view. And is the Action Zone the... Saturday morning show, I believe. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was the Saturday morning show. Or because maybe they it's say... a late night Saturday night show. Uh, they had so many different They say like earlier today or whatever, so I wasn't sure if it was that or if it was a like pre-show thing. I wasn't quite sure, but I didn't assume there was a pre-show at the time. Yeah, I can't remember the... Like Shane said, they had so many like these one-hour... like compilation shows that I mean, they that's threw out there in syndication everywhere. The, like, early 90s, my memory of uh, of wrestling is those shows that I would catch on, like, a Saturday or Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and that was, like, the most... That's how I knew who, like, Yokozuna was, like, at his peak, because you'd catch that in the morning or whatever, and then everybody else I knew was just from, like, the buddy commercials and stuff, because I wasn't... I didn't have... I wasn't a big wrestling fan when I was a small child, so. So the kid Nakushi started off featuring them both doing athletic moves with neither gaining an advantage before they both missed kicks at the same time. Hakushi with some chops before trying for a double underhook suplex. 
only for one, two, three to float over and hit an arm drag, followed by running the ropes, which Hakushi catches him with a tilt a whirl slam. Bum, bum, bum. The crowd is hot for one, two, three. And no, no, uh, Shinjin, Shinji. Yeah, I was wondering what was up with, uh, uh, his absence, but. I mean, maybe they just didn't want to pay him. Maybe he had other promotions to work with in Japan. I think Akushi had fell down the old, uh, we're going to bury this man. Ladder a little bit. So they were like, why do you have a manager if we're gonna, not going to really do anything with it? Yeah, I mean, totally makes sense. But it is a true shame because this guy somehow, match. somehow works so well on WWF TV. Like, he can do a mix between the styles we want and the style that WWF tries to do correctly so often. And it's like... Man, this guy could have been a star, but he mm-hmm. probably went over and got his neck broken in UWF or something. Akushi delivers a handspring back elbow and starts to work over the kid with kicks. Muda. Before hitting a pump splash off the ropes for a two count. Akushi continues with a back body drop and a thrust kick to send one, two, three out to the floor. Followed by a handspring tope con hilo over the ropes. Beautiful. Yeah, Hakushi, like... I think that since he's here with one, two, three, he's just like a little more comfortable. I don't know. He's looking maybe better here than the other times we've seen him. It's really great. Back into the ring, Akushi flies off the top rope with a headbutt for a near fall, followed by a body slam before heading up top again. But he misses a second diving headbutt. One, two, three begins to fire up with a drop kick that sends Akushi out of the ring, followed by the kid hitting a springboard plancha. Akushi's rolled back in where 1-2-3 delivers a slingshot leg drop before heading up top for a frog splash for a two count. The kid then goes for a running spinning heel kick only for Akushi to catch him and drop him with a power slam for the pin and, and the, the win. win. It's a hot shit. There were some other things in between here. This match is nice. Oh, the kind of first match we talk about on a pay-per-view. This delivers uh, in a big way, in that way. And Absolutely. I can't believe Hakushi went over. I was kind of surprised at that. Especially well. with the manager. I just assumed, because 1-2-3 is getting the heat put on him, and he's working from underneath, and then takes the pin, which I was like, taken aback by. It was exciting. So we go to the back, and Doc Hendricks is there with King Mabel. They didn't give Mabel any crown money. His crown looks Burger King. <laughs> it looks Burger King. Yep. Definitely from a uh, uh, a Kmart costume mm, rack, something yeah. like that. It's de- yeah, it definitely feel- has Party City written all over it. <laughs> so His Royal Highness would say something about British Bulldog, but that tonight would be the big surprise. And a little bit of history behind that statement. So on the Raw, like literally right before SummerSlam... Men on a mission were supposed to face the Allied powers, but Lex Luger didn't show up. What? Who knows why? So yeah, Davy Boy, the Lex Express got impounded a couple of years ago. So Davy Boy convinced Diesel to be his partner, but then he would attack Big Daddy Cool during the match. Mm. And that's how we get our world championship match. Well, no, Mabel attacked Diesel during the Lumberjack match. Oh, yes. That's how we get our main event. Okay. But Davy Boy 
that's why he talked about British Bulldog. Okay, okay, because yeah, because it seems kind of convoluted to try to bring Big Daddy Cool into a tag match. He's the champion. No tag matches, not unless we're uh, building, which I guess they kind of are. They're trying. So we then go to our second match: Hunter Hurst Helmsley versus Bob Spark Plug Holly. Oh, Hunter. Yep, I Triple mean, we, H. We saw him as a lumberjack, so it's not the first time we've seen him. No, it's the first, first singles match. match in WWF. And uh, I love that they call him a blue blood. I'm like, I mean, I know that's a a term that exists for a longer amount of time outside of wrestling, but it's just funny because he came from the other company just a minute ago where there's a blue blood gimmick, and you'd well, like to think... Part of that blue blood gimmick before yeah. he left. And if he stuck around, if they would not have probably put old uh, Earl Robert of Eden in that spot because, well... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He's got a British face, no shade thrown to the nicest man in wrestling and one of the best wrestlers of all time. Yeah. But as, as he doesn't great, look like Hunter Hearst Helmsley. As great as we thought the, uh, the Hollywood Blondes were, I have a feeling the Triple H Regal Blue Bloods would have been just yeah. as It could have amazing. been potentially as good or even better, but yep. we'll never know. Yep. So the match gets going as Holly hits a body slam after Triple H keeps trying to back away. But Hunter comes right back with a cheap shot. The two are trading chops and right hands before Helmsley drops spark plug across the top rope, throat first. Triple H continues to choke away on Holly, laying it in with right hands and forearms, as Vince tells us the British Bulldog has been seen arriving to the arena, even though... He isn't scheduled. I mean, these days the guys just show up, have to show up, and no, they're not going to be on the show even. uh, Catering. Uh Yeah, they got to go. They got to independently rent a car and fly there. Hunter keeps up the attack with a backbreaker, vertical suplex, and a knee drop for a two count. And then we get picture in picture showing us Davy Boy arriving to the arena. Seeing is believing. Oh man. Threw me back to Attitude Era. Uh, Stone Cold's in the building, and there's just like some garbage match happening, and then the cutaway to you know him with his walk through a dilapidated fucking war memorial building or whatever. Helmsley locks on an ab stretch with leverage, but the ref sees it, causing him to release the hold. So Spark Plug applies an ab stretch of his own, only for Triple H to hip toss Holly over the ropes, and to the floor. Back in the ring, Hunter telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Sparkplug to deliver a desperation DDT. Holly is firing up with multiple drop kicks, an atomic drop, a clothesline, and a back body drop. Sparkplug then telegraphs a second back body drop, allowing Helmsley to deliver a pedigree for the pin and, and the win. win. I mean, a solid second match. And watching this, I'm thinking, how like as good as Hakushi One Two Three is, why can't we just have Hakushi continue to get wins? And just like I would love to see him and and, and Bob Holly. This era, of Bob Holly would be probably a really fun match. Yeah, I'd like to see. I think that one. I think that'd be a good a good combo. I'm trying to remember was Hunter's. Did you guys notice the difference in Hunter's pedigree back in the day? Compared to more current time, because I know he changed it up, but I couldn't really tell 
see too much of the difference, in, no. at least in this match. I mean, he d- he does the whole, like... Back then, it was more of, like... It's more of a pile it, driver, yeah. I think, now. And now... <laughs> then, it was more of a pile driver. And now, yeah. it's more of just what, a what, face what? buster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, he kind of, like, gets a little bit of an angle yeah, on it. Yeah, back then, it was... They'd have more of a, an angle to it. I don't think he got as much mm-hmm. of one on this one. It was but... more dirty deeds than paradigm shift. Oh, yeah. uh, good point. Yeah, the... Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, Hunter also very good character work in this match where he's like being a shithead, I, I doing the bows, felt saving like I was his face. Regal. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. he's he's just biting he's biting Regal, but with a more pompous energy. As whereas Regal is pompous, but he has a better heel energy in that he there's something underneath where he's not as confident as he appears because he shows the anger. Whereas Hunter Hurst really doesn't show the anger, so it's like. He's ripping off half of it, but he's not doing the other half, which, you know, both are really good ways to portray that. There are different ways to portray that heel character where one's like showing some flaw and the other one is not willing to show the flaw. Vincent sends us to a video package where we see WWF superstars in a tug of war competition against some Pittsburgh firefighters. This looks like a real fun thing to go to mm-hmm. and eat a hot dog. For like a I imagine there's just like a whole bunch of like Boy Scout troops there getting like doing cooking pancakes. Yeah, just like it's like, <laughs> oh, we're doing like just a, a a local fundraiser, but the video looks really fun cuz they have a great spot to do it and they're doing tug of war over the river. Though I thought the funny thing about the tug of war is you would think they would just tug them into the water. Mhm. But they just had a spot where they like once they pulled the rope over that they were like okay we lost and then all the firefighters just like jumped in jumped in i think that the reason like i agree that that was kind of lame because it would have been awesome if they actually pulled them in even if it's a work but i think the idea is like well we don't want the firefighters to fall in the water and then like these big guys to fall, fall on top, on top of, of each other. other and then like somebody breaks a limb and then it's a liability issue and vice versa, but... Kayfabe, Hey, I agree that they should have actually just done it. I'm not going to lie, because I was worried a couple of those jumps that the firemen did of... I mean... Oh, shit, that dude looks like he's going to fall. Okay, no, uh, he's good. Oh, uh, yeah, I think yeah. he's going to land on somebody else's head. Mm-hmm. But it is it? Really, it's really fun. I'm just surprised we didn't have any, like, wrestlers with firefighter gimmicks. Oh, Firebreaker that, Chip. Yeah, see? Where the hell were you? Where, where are you, Firebreaker I'm Chip? I'm like, I don't, I don't remember who exactly was the WWF Superstars... But looking at them, I'm trying I remember, remember Kama was there, and then there was a. I think Mabel was there. Oh, I yeah. think Mabel was one of them. I'm like looking at them. I'm like, yeah, there was no way the WWF superstars were losing this. No. <laughs> I mean, Kama might not be the most defined guy, but you know, had, that, like, you know, you could beat anybody's there. ass. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would bet that like Kama could beat 90% of those guys in a shoot in the <laughs> back of that building. Because uh, he just has big bouncer energy. We then go to our third match. The Blue Brothers of Jacob and Eli Blue with Uncle Zebekiah versus the Smoking Guns of Billy and Bart Gun. Will Billy and Bart be pushed this time for real? This time for real. Jacob and Eli, it's a cool that they look exactly the same because it is hard to take notes on and interesting for a you know it's a fun gimmick for a tag but it's like oh they really do look the same there is a way to tell them apart i believe you their tattoos 
They have the same tattoos, but it's on opposite. But arms. they're on opposite arms. Because I even noticed that the arms uh, they had tattoos in the same spots, and I was like, "Fuck!" Which but I did not. The Usos years later to do the same thing. I hope. Yeah, but the Usos look different enough. <laughs> uh, but these guys, like, they got the beard and the hair, and they're they yeah they oh, look yeah. They these look, guys. They look like fucking twins, man. <laughs> like it took me a long time to figure out the difference between Nikki and Brie Bella, and they don't look exactly alike. But these guys. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, unless you're standing like right in front of them, like in a match where the people are moving around, tagging in and out, not happening. So the Blue Brothers take it to Billy early on with several elbow drops, body slams, until Gunn hits a move that looks like an early version of a Famouser. The Famouser. The Gunslinger or something. <laughs> Bart comes in, but the Blues take control once again, yanking him throat first onto the top rope. Bart then ducks a clothesline and comes back off the ropes with a crossbody before tagging in Billy, who delivers a clothesline for a two-count. The ref is working to get Bart out of the ring, allowing the Blues to hit a double-team slam on Billy before Eli delivers a body slam, a knee drop, and a power slam as well for a near fall. Jacob then sends Billy running the ropes where Gunn ducks a clothesline, coming back with a neckbreaker to send Jacob face-first into the mat allowing Billy to make the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Bart's in with multiple body slams on the blues, but Eli hits a big boot to take Bart down. Eli then charges at Bart only for Gunn to avoid, sending the blues into each other, knocking Jacob down to the floor. The smoking guns would then deliver the sidewinder, which is a side slam top rope leg drop combo for the pin and, and the win. win. It's a solid tag match with good psychology. Also, Philly loves heels. They're, they're pro blue here. It's very funny. Well, I mean, they're they're close to they're close to Philly. We're in Pittsburgh. Yeah, we're in Pittsburgh. Close to Philly, and the Blues have already had a, a quick little stint in ECW yeah. before coming here, so they may recognize them as some. I don't know if they're hometown boys or what. Yeah, and they've probably seen these uh, these pretty cowboys lose. And then win, and then lose, and then win for the last two years. We get another video package. This one's about Barry Horowitz. Oh, Barry. Barry was a journeyman, having lost every match for a year. But one month earlier, he had rolled up Skip while he was doing push-ups, which was Skip's way of gloating. Yeah, his, uh, his heel pose. A few weeks later, they would have a rematch with a 10-minute time limit. You know, if Barry could survive, he basically is the winner. Nobody expected him to survive is the whole thing. He's like, oh, well, you're and not he did survive. Yep. Yeah. So that leads us right into our fourth match. Skip with Sonny bum, bum, versus bum. Barry Horowitz. And no, I think this build is awesome, by the way. Yes. I think the build is fucking great. Yeah, they 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 did, and they did a, a beautiful great... thing for Barry with Barry during this time. Cause... And they great did a great job of selling the build on the pay-per-view because i didn't go back and watch all the stuff yeah. that's building up to this but i'm like oh i'm 110 percent invested and we have not seen the body donnas yet and we haven't really seen any barry horowitz uh worth talking about and here i'm already like match four great build great package already like you I'm know totally everything in, you need to know about yeah this i'm totally and it's and it's legitimately compelling it's not yeah. like any eye roll thing you're like oh no i want to see what happens I think the 10-minute 
him surviving the 10 minute thing instead of getting the other pin. It's like, that's the smartest and most logical wrestling thing to do. It just makes too much sense. And it's so simple. And, uh, I'm here for it. So we haven't seen Sonny since the NWA Smoky Mountain Wrestling World Championship Tournament, episode 135. I know, and the video quality was not very good, but here uh, it's great, and she looks wonderful. And we haven't seen Barry since Survivor Series 93, episode 106, when he was one of Shawn Michaels' knights. Oh. He looks a, a whole lot better than any other time we've seen him before. Yeah, I love that he comes out to, uh, is it, what's Havana the name? Aguila. Yeah, Havana Aguila. Yeah. I, always, I always, like, say it backwards. I'm glad you had me. Because I was like, Nila Hagaba, and I'm like, no, that's not it. But for some reason, I always want to say it backwards. Not a, wasn't, wasn't born in Jewish, guys. Yeah, same. Sonny has the mic as they're coming out, basically talking about how much of a loser Barry is. Oh. Call him, calling him Barry Horribleitz? <laughs> I mean, I think that might be Jerry Lawler, but either way. No, she says it. She says it? Yeah. <sighs> What a hot jerk. <laughs> Horowitz sprints into the ring to attack, hitting a back body drop, a knee drop, a chin breaker, knee to the gut, a dragon screw leg whip, and a clothesline that sends Skip out to the floor. I popped for the dragon screw, and I also popped for when he did the drop to the mat, punch up, very Goldusk-esque, and I was like, yes! And then he pulled off the dragon screen, and I was like, am I a Barry Horowitz fan? What's going I mean, on here? Or say, is it just booked really well? You say it's very Goldusk-esque, but that's that's a very Barry move right there. Oh. Yep. A, a, very, a very Barry move? Yes. Barry brings the body Donna back into the <clears throat> ring with a slingshot, but after a kick to the gut, Skip seems in control, only for Horowitz to reverse an Irish whip and charge in, which the body Donna avoids. But Barry doesn't crash into the corner, instead leaping up onto the ropes, where he jumps over a charging skip and goes for an O'Connor roll for a two count. This man's getting to actually uh, shine here, and it feels good. Also, a very Barry Hanukkah. <laughs> the kick out sends Horowitz to the apron, so Skip tries to bring him in the hard way, but Barry reverses it, sending Skip out to the floor. I mean... Skip took the bump for him, and Horowitz has the size. Sonny then throws in the towel. But the ref just tells her to get out of the ring, right. because we're doing this <laughs> he, match. This he, yeah, wrestling, yeah, not boxing. yeah, it's like, you're heels, and I don't even recognize you as a human, which is pretty brutal. I couldn't believe she threw the towel in either, but it's like, <laughs> oh, that's how chicken shit you fuckers are? Back in the ring, Skip sends Horowitz to the ropes, where Sonny trips him from the floor. Allowing the body Donnie to take control of the match with chokes, a snap suplex, second rope leg drop, while always showboating in between moves. Just flexing over Barry. And the crowd, they understand it. They're giving a Barry chant. That's great. Summer of Barry, man. Summer it is Barry. a Summer Barry. Skip continues the attack with a gut wrench suplex and a second rope fist drop. Horowitz then avoids an elbow drop before delivering several shoulder blocks for two counts and a sunset flip for a near fall. But the body Donna hits a clothesline to stop the momentum. Skip tries for another clothesline, but Barry ducks and delivers a fez press for a two count. Ah, pop. There's so many like moves you don't see all the time in this match that are all done well. And then just like the pop-up clothesline from the heel. Kind of crazy that on paper, 
you'd be like, okay, well, those are the first couple matches of the show. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is what wrestling is, which is a weird thing to say at a WWF show. With a Barry Horowitz match. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely a Barry Horowitz match. Skip recovers to hit a power slam and starts to do jumping jacks to gloat some more before hitting multiple flash leg drops. The two men start trading strikes until an eye poke by the body Donna, which he then sends Horowitz running the ropes, in which they both go for a drop kick no. to knock each other down. And, like, yeah, it can't... There's This is, like, so not sloppy. It's really pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Skip is up first and heads to the top rope, only for Barry to drop kick his feet out from under him, causing the body Donna to crotch himself. Horowitz then climbs the ropes for a super back suplex, only for Skip to elbow Barry down to the mat, allowing the body Donnie to come off with a diving headbutt for a two count, as Skip would pick Horowitz up off the mat. The body Donna would then set up for a pile driver, but Barry would reverse it into a back body drop, followed by avoiding a swinging neck breaker. Horowitz with a drop kick and heads up to the top rope. Only for Sonny to shake the ropes. And squash the matzo balls. Allowing Skip to then hit a superplex. All of a sudden, Hakushi would come walking down the aisle. Because if you remember from earlier in the show, they showed us the body Donnans costing Hakushi in a match versus Horowitz. Mm -hmm. On Saturday night or morning, who knows. Skip would start yelling at Hakushi, which would have him springboard over everybody. Yeah, it's crazy. But the distraction allows Barry to cradle up Skip for the pin and And the the win. win. The people love it. I love it. Sunny's hotter than the surface of the sun. She looks like the VHS aerobics Medusa, and I love it. It's great. What a nice looking lady. What a nice looking 90s lady. Medusa and Missy Hyatt were merged into one. Mm, that sounds nice. <laughs> and but yeah, the yeah Perry Horowitz, he, he turns it on. He's got a fucking pay per view win now. And he's got a he's got he's got a pay per view win. He's got a move set that's like interesting and maybe more varied than a lot of the roster. We got thread fez presses and dragon screws and uh, like fish plexes. Oh my. We go to the satellite classroom with Dean Douglas, and he talks about the word vivify to explain the travesty that was Horowitz getting a win before giving the ref a grade of F and Barry an S for slacker. Yeah, vivify, failure and aberration. It's like, I don't know vivify. That's not a word I use. I'd love to add it to my, uh, thanks, Dean, you taught me something. We then go to Todd Pettengill, who is in Shawn Michaels' locker room, where he sends us to a video package about the WrestleMania 10 ladder match. We come back, and HBK joins Todd to say that it is eaten at him that he lost a razor in that match, but he wants to prove that he's the better man and the greatest intercontinental champion ever. I mean, Shawn's got to get uh, maybe not a smile back yet. But definitely his win back. We then go to our fifth match. Bertha Faye with Harvey Whippleman. 
versus Alundra Blaze for the WWF Women's Championship. And uh, I was curious about the uh, weight discrepancy. I mean, in wrestling, especially at this point in time, like there's not divisions or whatever. Bertha Faye's build at 210, and uh, Alundra Blaze is like 140, and I'm like, damn. <laughs> what a uh, weight difference. But I mean, at the same time, you see your your King Kong Bundys and your Andres and your uh, Earthquakes yeah. and stuff. You just had Shawn Michaels beat King Kong Bundy you know, for a King of the Ring qualifier yeah, match or yeah. something it's like, like that. That's how you build them up. Uh, but, yeah. It's always great to see Medusa. She has some funny gear on. and uh, It's a Lundra Blaze, sir. A Lundra Blaze, I'm sorry. I'm a Medusa man. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, honestly, it's a Lundra Blaze got to do more in the ring, and I appreciate her in the ring, so it's kind of hard to pick a side. Medusa was more fun. I would agree, more fun and got to do more. But didn't get got to do more. Alundra is busy. Yeah, you know, she she wrestles a match here and there, but she's usually busy. You know, in the back talking on hotline. Yeah, yeah. But she Alundra Blaze had just gotten the title back from Bolnakana. So we created a character called Bertha Faye for this. So the last time we saw <laughs> this belt and Blaze wrestle was at SummerSlam 1994. One whole year ago. Episode 130. SummerSlam, the show for the women's belt. So Alundra gets an entrance with Pyro in the shape of her name, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Is it like an A and a B, or is it the whole name? The whole name? Uh, it was, oh, wow. The, the Blaze, Blaze was Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to check that out. I don't remember that. That sounds cool. The match gets going as Blaze starts with some kicks that take Faye down, but Bertha comes right back using her size advantage to take control. Pretty crazy that Faye went down that fast. Good kicks. Good kicks. I mean, you know, she's a strong lady. Faye continues with multiple body slams and leg drops before going to the second rope for a splash, only for Alundra to have moved. Blaze makes her way onto Bertha's shoulders for a victory roll, but only a two count. So she delivers some knee strikes, which Faye counters with a double leg takedown. Bertha hits another body slam and goes for the pin. Only for Alundra to bridge out of the attempt. LOL, it's funny to see her bridge out from the from a lady named Bertha. Like, <laughs> not, no shade thrown, but she's much larger. Alundra then delivers several clotheslines before going for a pin attempt. But the ref is distracted by Whippleman on the apron, so Alundra begins to chase after him. Back in the ring, Blaze goes for a suplex. But Faye is too big. Good luck, Medusa. We said you were a strong lady, but damn. So she transitions into a crucifix for a near fall. Bertha then comes back with another body attack, sending Alundra to the ropes, who comes back with a hurricanrana for a two count. A hurricanrana on Bertha Faye. That's yeah, Bertha, fucking impressive. Bertha Faye's bumping. Mm-hmm. She's doing flips. Blaze then hits a pair of second rope drop kicks. Ooh. She tries for a third, but Faye avoids before delivering a powerbomb for the pin and, and the win. win. And, and new! And how? I mean, they gotta give her somebody to wrestle? Yeah, yeah. I know, I was watching this and I was like, well, the crowd wasn't really into it, but I think this match was pretty nice. But I was like, is this when... Alundra Blaze bounces, but I guess not, because I know she shows up in WCW 
with the belt to drop it in the trash can, and she just lost the belt. So unless she's a real thief. I know she wins it back on some Raw. Yeah, she wins it back here pretty quickly. It's like, yeah, she. I'm sure she's happy to lose to Bull Nakano any day of the week. Yeah. But there's also the bull, not yes. really, there's nobody else to work with here because Bull Nakano and Owner Blaze have been the only people, women wrestlers. I mean, literally, the they, last, they like, bring years. in like one person to face Alundru for the year. Every once in a while. Yeah, and... like every four Raws or something. If that. Yeah, yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're lucky. Jim Ross catches up with the new champion in the aisle. And Bertha says that she's got the beauty, the man, and now the gold to put around her slim, fast waist. Mm, when so she said that, that made me laugh. Because yeah. I totally forgot that was one of her catchphrases back in the day, was talking about her slim, fast waist. I mean, yeah. <laughs> SummerSlam 1995, brought to you by Stridex and, and Slim Fast. <laughs> because Slim Jims went somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We want slim money. <laughs> We then go to a video package about The Undertaker, and we get footage of WrestleMania 11, where Kama stole the urn <sighs> and melted bitch. it down into a necklace. Pretty cool mm-hmm. necklace. Very um, very Mr. T-esque, where it's like, oh, it's just like five necklaces wrapped around each other. We would then see the creatures of the night bringing Black Reese with them, and this past week, Kama would destroy one inside the ring. Bringing one of the creatures into the ring to pick up the pieces. The Supreme Fighting Machine would then roll back into the ring and attack the creature. And this would cause President Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, we love you. It's so nice to see the man. So it's no longer Jack Tunney. That's right. Tunney out, Gorilla in. Gorilla forever. As it always should have been. He would then announce that Kama would meet the Undertaker in a casket match. Bum, bum, bum. And, um... You know, a, a peek behind the curtain a little bit. This match had obviously been doing uh, house shows and was they tested it as a dark match on the last... In your house. In your house. So it was like, oh, okay, well, here it is. I was like, why would yeah, they do this that? This is like the that? seventh or eighth time they've done this match. Yeah. I just sure. find it funny that the last casket match we saw of Takers was with Kamala. And now <laughs> he's having one with... Kama. <laughs> so we go to our sixth match. Kama, the supreme fighting machine with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer in a casket match. And Taker attacks as the bell rings, taking it to Kama with right hands and a double choke. And the ref starts to admonish the dead man, allowing the supreme fight machine to take advantage of the distraction with some kicks. I mean, there's the... He took his urn. Melted it down. Undertaker comes right back to throw Kama over the ropes onto the casket at ringside. Back in the ring, Taker with a clothesline, an avalanche splash, and old school to maintain control. The dead man then has the officials open the casket door. <sighs> this is the sound of me lifting my arm. <sighs> Lift the coffin. And there is a camera... Inside. Coffin cam. Where we see the Undertaker toss Kama over the ropes into the casket. But the Supreme Fighting Machine escapes immediately. Yes, I love that people sharing or uh, selling the fear of being in a coffin. Oh no. Kama then pulls Taker's throat across the ropes before going up top for a flying clothesline. 
but the dead man sits right up. Undertaker then goes for another avalanche splash in the corner, but Kama catches him and drops Taker with a power slam. The Supreme Fight Machine starts working the dead man towards the casket, but Undertaker is holding onto the ropes, grabbing Kama with his boots to head scissor him out into the casket as well. I mean, that one's kind of scary because the casket's big, but those are big guys, and if he just, like, caught his neck ugh, on, like, oof, oof yeah. on, like, just... Mm. Could a million-dollar babied himself. <sighs> Taker rolls back into the ring and is about to close the door when Million Dollar Man gets up on the apron to distract him, so the dead man knocks Ted off, allowing Kama to recover and make it back into the ring. The Supreme Fight Machine starts using his fists. Or if you ask Paul Bearer, that's what he was using. Some kicks and a clothesline that sends Undertaker on top of the casket. Taker tries to get back in the ring, but Kama knocks him down again, allowing DiBiase to get some kicks in of his own, which turns Bearer into a wild man, forcing the refs to hold him back. Taking off his jacket, throwing it on the ground. I mean, you know, Percy's got those, uh, like, Looney Tunes legs. When he gets real upset, he just starts spinning. <laughs> He's quicker than you think, like, on his feet. Kama heads out to continue the punishment, but the dead man looks to take control after slamming the Supreme Fight Machine's head into the steel steps. Only for the Million Dollar Man to distract him again, allowing Kama to recover, running Undertaker back first into the ring post. Posted. The Supreme Fight Machine slams Taker's head on the casket before hitting a vertical suplex onto it as well. Coffined. Kama climbs up on top of the casket as well, looking for a pile driver. But the dead man reverses into a back body drop that sends the Supreme Fight Machine into the ring. R.I.P. R.I.P. Kama reverses an Irish whip, catching Undertaker on his way back a power slam then goes for the cover because he forgot what kind of match it was i mean he's been they've both been knocked around fight or flight moment <laughs> shows shows how weak in his mind he is that's what it is i think that honestly it's okay here <laughs> i think that this is built done pretty good for that spot at least lawler actually forgets as well for a moment but then he changes his tune calling comma an idiot for it ah perfect lawler <laughs> And the thing is, we'll never know if he meant to do it or not. The Supreme Fight Machine then slaps on a chin lock with leverage until Bearer can knock his feet off. But he still maintains the chin lock until Taker escapes with a back suplex. Kama comes right back with a kick and a hard whip to the corner. Goes for more kicks, only for the dead man to avoid and deliver a leaping clothesline. The casket is then opened right as Undertaker hits a clothesline that sends both men into the casket, followed by the officials closing the lid. I mean, we need to see who will emerge. So the who match is over, emerge? right? I mean, we've got a cam in there. It's a double loss. cam not working? Uh, I mean, it's is not. Is like a refrigerator where we don't the, have, the lid closes and the light goes off? We don't have night vision money in 95. <laughs> we got to wait a couple of years for that. So the two men are fighting it out inside the casket. Or seven minutes in heaven, which, who are we to judge? I mean, we know they're good friends. Exactly. But they both eventually make their way out as the casket begins to break apart. Back in the ring, Kama hits a swinging netbreaker, 
sends Taker to the ropes only for him to duck a clothesline and hit a choke slam as the crowd goes wild. I mean, wrong place. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> the dead man follows up with a tombstone pile driver before rolling comma into the casket and shutting the lid for, for the, the win. win. I mean, there's a standing ovation for the Undertaker. I think this is the best in-ring casket match we've seen. Yeah, it's they've. It's like, oh, well, we've done it a few times, and I think that this one, psychology and like ring-wise, is. It might not be the hottest, it might not be the biggest draw, but I think as far as, like, bell to bell, it's the, the one that's worked for the best. Other than, like, the four minutes when Kamo was just <clears throat> stomping on Undertaker. Yeah. And he kind of was like, let me Irish... He's like, no, I'm going to take you back over to the corner and stomp you. Some. Yeah. Like, yeah. there was, like, that little segment there. Like, that was kind of like the... Uh, okay. Yeah, it does benefit from the crowd being hot, but like, so it's not like this like glaring issue, but it is. It's like, oh, we lost the plot here for a second. Yeah. We get Vince and the King talking about our next match, and Lawler is still mad about having to eat his own stinky foot and a little bit of Brett's. So that may be still might be the grossest thing we've uh, seen on WWE television. So what did he do? He went and got an evil dentist to help him out. Mm. What would you do? Uh, I'd get a Klondike bar. (laughs) (laughs) Really, seriously, like the jump in logic to that is very silly. It's like, oh, if somebody puts their gross foot in your mouth, it doesn't mean that you need to see a dentist. It means that you just need to rinse your mouth with uh, alcohol and or mouthwash, which is just alcohol. So you just need to clean your mouth up. Swish with some salt water or Uh something. It's not like he like like glued Jolly Ranchers to his teeth and tied him to a chair. We then go to a video package about the Hitman and the King's Feud, seeing footage from a pair of King of the Ring pay-per-views. We then go to Pettengill in the back with Bret Hart, who tries to make sense of this match, even though he thought it was ridiculous yeah. in real life. Also, I did notice that uh, Jerry Lawler... I think they refer, refer to the feet as puppies, and I think it might be the first time that he says puppies and he tasted his own puppies, which is pretty funny if you think <laughs> about it in a uh, Attitude Era sense. It's pretty gross. Wouldn't want to see it. Hey, I mean, once upon a time, thongs went on your feet, so... Yeah, yeah. So we go to our seventh match. <laughs> Isaac Yankum. Doctor. DDS versus Brett, the Hitman Hart. Yankum, we, we might know him a little bit better as Kane. Yeah, the um, mayor of Nashville, Knoxville, Clark County, Clark County, yeah, Tennessee. I think that's where where it is. Uh huh. Like that. I'm trying to think of the town, Franklin. Yep. The man that you're like, oh, I get why they put a mask on him. But he is a <laughs> WWE Hall of Famer. Absolutely. I also think... A brother of destruction. Speaking about his looks, I think he looks like a fat Sid in the yeah. face. Yeah, he also, it's kind of like, I mean, Hillbilly may not, might not be the way, but he has the gap teeth, so it's like, he does have a very yeah. Sid face, and I personally uh, am, don't find Sid to be attractive, but uh, Sid is much more attractive than this guy. Yeah. Conventionally. Mean, yeah. Kane is is very much uh, you know, coming from a, a gay man's Isaac perspective. Yankum, sorry, sir. Mm-hmm. Glenn, 
Glenn Yankum. Kind of a butterface. Got a big old rip bod, and then yeah. that that face that apparently needed to be set on fire eventually. Aww. <laughs> uh, what's <laughs> funny is that, like, as a kid, I first saw him in the Attitude Era, and if I had seen it as a game at the time, I obviously had no idea because pre-internet. So if you put a mask on him, I don't know who the fuck that is. I'm gonna have dirt sheets. Uh, but the uh, I mean, for the longest time, I don't think a lot of people knew who it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but the the it's funny because. With the mask on, you assume that like Kane might be like a handsome guy. I never expected that face to be under there, as a kid, at all. It's really, it's really, really, it's weird in hindsight. Now it's not weird because I've seen him without a mask for so long. But like, it's just yeah, it's bizarre because he did such a great job of being like, who's what does this face look like? Who's under there? And he looks so good. He has one of the best costumes of the whole Attitude Era, and one of the best masks in wrestling that's not lucha related yeah. i mean maybe the only mask that's not lucha related sometimes these big old stars have to start off with a, a shitty gimmick or two oh, before they, they find their their place i mean True. spark pug had to be a spark pug yeah before he finally cut loose and went hardcore so the dentist uses his power advantage early on with chokes turnbuckle smashes and a body slam before missing an elbow drop allowing Brett to fight back with an atomic drop and multiple clotheslines that sends Yankum out to the floor. Bum, bum, bum. I love that, like, okay, well, he's a dentist. What if we put fake bad teeth on him? It's like, why would he have bad teeth if he's a dentist? And it just turns into, like, feels like a bad VHS horror movie. Like a, uh, I'd hate to see the feet that were put in his mouth. Oh, oh yeah, no <laughs> shit. Uh, but, yeah, it's funny. He looks so big here, and for some reason... I think the size of his head helps how big he looks. Because he looks bigger than Kane, even. Even though it's obviously the same man. Hitman would follow out with a slingshot plancha before rolling the dentist back into the ring, where he continues the punishment with a second rope clothesline and goes for the sharpshooter. Only for Yankum to block, so Hart just drops a headbutt to the gut. Did you know that uh, Stu Hart goes to the dentist twice a year, once for each tooth? Oh, Jerry. He's trying. Brett with some turnbuckle smashes goes for an O'Connor roll that gets a two count before the dentist attempts a hip toss, only for the hitman to counter into a backslide for a near fall. That's a lot of power from uh, old Brett Hart. Yankum then goes for a rubber band slam, but he loses grip of Hart, so he just falls into and not onto the ropes. Yeah, it's uh, a real slop. Slop is the nice way to say botch. The dentist then starts flinging Brett from corner to corner, choking the hitman several different ways, including a hangman's noose choke, which hitman floats over, cradling up Yankum for a two count. The dentist continues with the choking, even to the point that the ref has to pull Yankum's hair to get him to back off. He's a man possessed. I love that that was the hangman's noose choke. Hangman's noose, because I was like, what is this called? I was like, back job lift. Because we don't see it very often. But I was like, this was interesting and looks good, but I did not know the name of the hold. So I'm glad you had it down. The dentist then hits a clothesline that sends Hart out to the floor, where Yankum follows out to drive Brett back first into the ring post. Posted. The hitman has made his way back to the apron, where the dentist continues with forearms to leave Hart dangling atop the ropes, 
allowing Yankum to come off the top rope with a leg drop to the back to get a near fall. Yeah, it's very uh, Sandman-esque. A little better. A little. The dentist is stalking after Brett with a with double axe handles, only for the hitman to avoid each time. But Yankum finally catches him with several clotheslines for a two count. But the kick out sends the dentist out to the floor. Hart follows out with a tope suicida, followed by ground and pound strikes, a head slam into the steel steps before rolling Yankum back into the ring. Brett then hits a bulldog. The Russian leg sweep for a two count. Backbreaker. Second rope elbow drop. And then applies the sharpshooter near the ropes. And it's funny because he does all these things to his face. And like a couple years later, they probably would have just gimmicked his mouth to like shoot teeth out or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been very funny. But All of a sudden, Lawler... Like, crawls over the announce table. Oh, yeah. He stands up on the announce table. Crazy. To get to ringside, where he pushes the ropes towards the dentist, allowing Yankum to grab it to break the hold. It's funny, too, because, like, this is not an, like, AWA loose rope thing. It's like, oh, like, how, how much did he actually push it? <laughs> it's not like, you know... It wasn't right in front of the referee's face <laughs> as he was pushing it, too. Ah, good point. <laughs> The hitman seems to be distracted by the king, but when Yankum charges at him, Hart backbody drops the dentist over the f- to the floor, only for him to land on his feet and pull Brett out to the floor. It's a nice spot. Yankum then runs the hitman into the still steps before they roll back into the ring, where the dentist heads up top, only for Hart to press slam him off to the mat. Man, you can't, you big boy, you can't be going up there. Brett gets some mounted punches in the corner before sliding to the outside, where he trips up Yankum and ties his legs up with a cable around the ring post, allowing the hitman to just start stomping away on the dentist while the ref goes to untie Yankum. I love Desperation Brett, and it's like, well, it's kind of a stretch that he's doing it to this guy, but this guy's bigger than him and sicked on him by the guy that's been tormenting him and his family for like two years. So it's like, hey, Fuck it. Fuck you. Whatever. Lawler looks to jump into the ring, but he thinks twice about it. So Hart just follows him out to the floor to brawl with the king. When the dentist would all of a sudden fly off the top rope with a double axe handle. Back in the ring, Brett would be sent to the ropes, coming back with a forearm, sending Yankum crashing into the ropes. The hitman would start to run the ropes again, but Lawler would trip him up from the floor allowing the dentist to hit a body guillotine across the ropes. The king and Yankum would then tie the ropes around Hart's head. <sighs> Don't we know what happens to Just leaving him dangling as the ref calls for the bell and the disqualification. <sighs> Poor Brett. He, Brett sells that spot very well. Yeah, he does. But, I mean, it's Brett Hart. Do we even need to say it? Excellence of execution. I mean, come on. Post-match, Lawler and the dentist are yanking on Brett to continue the punishment until officials can make it down to the ring to break it up and get the hitman loose. The King and Yankum would make their way to the back, followed by Hart, who would shove help away and limp his way to the back as well. I mean, he's pissed, and you know who else is pissed? The crowd. It does not like this finish at all. That's right. It's more like Pittsburgh. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, they're upset, but I feel like they were totally fine with the match. And then they're like, oh, I don't know if they don't like the finish or they don't like Yankum. I mean, Yankum's obviously silly, but... They probably realize that we'll probably have to see another one of these. Yeah, where this should Brett should just be beating him to get to another Lawler match or something. But even why are we still doing this? The man eight feet. Exactly. We don't need a no shade a year to and a half. No shade to the what feet Brett... were the payoff to this feud. I know, and now it's like just, okay, let's move on. Let Brett Hart do anything. He could just have matches with lower card guys one at a time until you had something for him. But I do think this was done well considering its stupidity. Mm-hmm. But it's Bret Hart. So, I mean, like, the bar is uh, higher than, well, just about any bar you could you could claim. We go to the back and Doc Hendricks is there with Razor Ramon. And Razor says he has the chance at history to become the first four-time Intercontinental Champion. And during the interview, Hart walks in front of them as Raymond, as Ramon is saying it's not just the gold on the line, it's his body, and Sean's pain will bring him pleasure. I was like, whenever the hitman walked in front, I was just like, are we setting something up? I yeah, was like, yeah, it was weird. But it, just, I think I think the it's realness because, of it. Well, I think also because... They like actually are timing this out and doing the interviews like to the ring. Does Razor leave this interview straight to the ring? So yeah, Brett yeah. walking back kind of adds to the like selling that it's real and selling that it's actually yeah. done in time. Yeah, because I mean they're doing these pretty much from Gorilla. Yeah, which I mean I love, I fully support, but it does kind of tease something, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I don't know if it actually. Amounts to any. I don't. Yeah, it probably or... doesn't. But like, that's nice to have those threads. I'm trying to think of SummerSlam '95 or not SummerSlam Survivor Series '95 because that's the next big pay per view, anyways. If there's anything that involves Hart and Ramon, but hey, I mean, yeah, Hart and Ramon aren't like famous. We'll, find, we'll get there eventually. We'll find out here soon enough. Yeah. But we go straight to our eighth match: Razor Ramon versus the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. For the WWF Intercontinental Championship in a ladder match. I mean, you know, they perfected the ladder match and this is the ladder rematch. So Doc Hendricks has joined McMahon for commentary for this match and for the rest of the show. As, you know, Lawler went to the back with his boy Yankum. Yankum. The sexy boy out in blue and silver. Where's the red, brother? Hey, you, you gotta mix it up. You gotta mix it up. You gotta mix it up. I agree, but uh, the red is so nice. So the build-up for this match was kind of slight, as HBK was actually supposed to face Sid. But a few weeks before the show, new president Gorilla Monsoon decided the fans wanted a ladder rematch. He said, we need to sell some tickets, and what? that is the biggest match we've had or the, one of the most popular matches we've had in quite a while. Like, what did Sid do? Did he get in trouble? No, literally. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think they just needed an excuse. The storyline is what I gave you. Michael nailed it on the head with uh, yeah. the actual you reason don't, The why. thing is, uh, you also don't need a build to this. These guys visiting each other again totally makes sense because they're kind of eye-to-eye in the card. 
as far as like popularity and is this the biggest match you can have in this company at the moment is Razor and Sean like cuz Diesel it's probably pretty close. Yeah, yeah. like if and if, like if it's not Sean and Brad. Yeah, but yeah, they're exactly. both faces at this time. So yeah, I, mean, I guess Razor and Sean are both faces. Yeah, you Razor giving Brett the the stink eye in the back. Anything's possible. Yeah, like triple threat. But yeah, if you need to sell another like twenty five thousand pay per views, or you need to sell another like you know fifteen hundred tickets, yeah. this match will do it. Sid is not going to bring the people in, and neither is Diesel. Even though they seem to cheer him. So it takes a minute for the belt to be placed correctly over the ring. As they can't seem to get the height exactly correct. They don't do it all the time. And we'll find out that they still don't really have it correctly Mm. by the end of the match. But once it is, the two men start trading words until they begin to run the ropes. With Sean almost hitting a super kick, only for Razor to avoid. We get more traded strikes when Ramon sends Michaels to the corner where he leaps up and over absolutely no one. So when he turns, the bad guy just kicks him to set up for the razor's edge. I know I love the trading the finishes early. So hot and such a good way to get everybody going. HBK drops down and rolls to the ropes to avoid. Ramon with another Irish whip that sends Sean into a flare flip over the ropes to the floor. And this allows Razor to go out and try and retrieve the ladder. Only for Michaels to catch up with him to bring him back to ringside. Does Michaels ever land the flare flip, or does he just steal the flare flip and always use it to land on the apron of the floor? Because it seems like he never uses it in a defensive way where Ric Flair will like take it to the apron a lot of the time. Or Usually when Sean does it, yeah, he... He just goes out to the yeah, floor. Yeah, it's yeah. Just like, for him, for him it's a bump, and for Ric Flair it's a... like. Will he recover or not? Yeah, he, he does either the flip out to the floor or he does the kind of flip up onto the turnbuckle and then, and then rolls back, back into, into the ring into, again so yeah, he can get yeah. hit again. Yeah, yeah. I love it either way, but it's just I'm just curious because it seems like with Flair you never know, but with Sean it seems like he never quite lands on the feet. HBK tries to bring Ramon in the hard way, but it is countered, sending Sean's leg across the guardrail. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, that uh, that one was sick. Ouch. I mean, where the match starts and the guys are avoiding each other's finishes, they're starting hot, and then you're already working the leg, which sweet chin music has already been said in this match. So it's it's I think I feel like it's basically established at this point. Back in the ring, Razor gets Michaels up into the, the Razor's edge. Only for HBK to wiggle free and attempt a super kick, which Ramon ducks before they both hit clotheslines for a double KO. Razor starts whipping Sean back and forth before hitting a second rope fallaway slam, which allows Ramon to grab the ladder in the aisleway. And Vince tells us that Sid will get a match versus the winner on an episode of Raw as we see him watching in the back. Yep, Sid uh, in a dark room watching the monitor. I also love that the ladder is, there's one ladder, and it's in the walkway. It's not in the ring. There's not ten ladders or four ladders or three ladders. It's in, in the ring. I mean, in the, in the walkway. So it's like, you have to go get it. As Razor comes back to ringside, Michaels tries for a baseball slide, but Ramon moves and decks HBK with a right hand. 
Razor then sets up the ladder, but Sean jumps back into the ring to knock Ramon and the ladder down. Michaels picks up the ladder and inadvertently yeah, hits like Ramon while trying to set it up. Looks like a bit of an accident. But Razor grabs his pant legs to stop him, pulling his tights down to the pleasure of all the ladies and I'm sure a few men. I mean, uh, I would have liked to see his ass, and that's not even my thing. I was like, <laughs> we can't see it? We can't see his ass? Ramon then pulls HBK's leg, causing him to fall into the ladder with a leg getting caught up on a rung as it fell. I mean, callback. Razor takes advantage, working over the knee with stomps and using the ladder before slamming Sean on top of the ladder. Ramon then sets the ladder across the second rope in a corner before going to back to work on the leg, trying to whip Michaels into it, but he just falls down. I know it feels like they're already one-upping this with like the slam on the ladder. It's like, oh, like we gotta you can't just we can't just do the same match again. Razor then attempts a figure four, only for HBK to knock him off right into the corner with the ladder. But Ramon recovers to drop Sean knee first across the ladder and continues to work on it, including slamming the knee on the ground and against the ring post. Who does he think he is, Bret Hart? <laughs> Maybe Bret helped. Razor grabs the letter to set it up, but instead just casually drops it on the hurt leg. Very fun. I love, that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's so fun. It's like, oh, let me just, uh, you know subvert your expectations real quick by being a bit of a shithead. He then actually does set it up and starts to climb when Michaels flies off the top rope with a double axe handle to knock him down. HBK then shoves Ramon into the ladder to, to knock him down again, but Razor is up first and starts to climb when Sean catches up with him to deliver a back suplex off of the ladder. I mean, come on, guys. Michaels then puts the ladder against the turnbuckle before whipping Ramon into it multiple times, followed by a forearm smash and a body slam. HBK then sets the ladder up in the corner, climbing to the top to hit a moonsault onto Razor. Ah, moonsault? Like, have we seen a Shawn Michaels moonsault before? Maybe? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Maybe he's just like, well, Hakushi's here. I'm picturing him doing one on Tito. But I might be wrong. Yeah, and that was like so long ago. Yeah. It's like ah, like at that point, it's not even in con- the like consciousness of like the current era. Yeah. Sean climbs to the top of the ladder once again. This time, coming off with a splash, but Ramon rolls out of the way to avoid. The ladder is set back up with both men slow climbing to the top, where they have a slugfest which ends up toppling the ladder, sending Razor out to the floor while Michaels gets crotched on the top rope. I love that it's like, oh, well, we both got it bad. The crowd is pretty split. Back on their feet, HBK misses with a running ladder attack to Ramon on the apron as he low bridges, causing Sean to fall out to the floor. Razor then grabs a second ladder from under the ring while Sean starts setting up the original ladder in the ring, with McMahon going crazy about how he has never seen this before. I mean, What is this? It is pretty uh, new. It's a shame that they started putting everything in the world under a ring, but here it's a surprise and nice. Everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Michaels begins to climb, so Ramon grabs him to deliver a razor's edge in the middle of the ring. Both make it back to their feet and start to set up their respective ladders, with Ramon starting to climb first. So HBK hits some sweet chin music from his ladder to knock Razor down. It's a desperation thing, too, because, like, Razor's got, like, six inches at least on Michaels. Sean then makes it to the top of his ladder, but he can't reach the belt. So he, like, leaps up to try and grab it. Yeah, it's just like, if he was centered, he could get it. But in this moment of desperation, after the sweet chin music to the taller man, he just like, fuck it, I gotta jump and at least try. (laughs) But he ends up just crashing down to the mat. The bad guy looks for another razor's edge, only for Michaels to counter with a back body drop to send Ramon over to the floor allowing HBK to make the slow climb to grab the title, but he still can't take hold of it. Mm, that one was frustrating as hell, because he know. actually grabs onto it, but it doesn't come loose. Yeah, it's like he slipped. His, <laughs> either like his sweaty hand slips, or like... My assumption is that like he gets a hold of it, but his sweaty hand slips, and he thinks it's going to come down easier than it does, and it's like, oh yeah, you need to just like hook your arm, because this thing's a little tighter than you thought. Yeah. So Sean like falls off to the mat once again. And he's pissed off at this point because he yeah. like slams the ladder back into the middle of the ring. Which is like, honestly, I'm sure the anger was obviously real, but it's the kind of the kind of leaking of reality into wrestling that you enjoy sometimes, or that we like to see. So Michaels makes the climb one more time, with the belt having been with it having been unstrapped. It's like hanging down a little bit lower, so. Mm-hmm. He's able to grab it from about the halfway point of the ladder to win the match. Dun, dun, dun. Post-match, Ramon climbs back into the ring, ripping the belt out of Sean's hands. But then he hands it back to him, raising his arm and giving him a handshake and a hug. And lifts his Aww. arm for the fireworks. Bros. I mean, it's babyface versus babyface, but this is one of the moments where it works just because both of them have been shit heels in the past yeah and people want to see it so there's that moment of like they could possibly turn kind of like the uh like piper and bret hart at wrestlemania 8 i believe which is still one of the greatest matches ever we go to dean douglas in his classroom and he's mocking razor when ramon walks in saying he didn't need a bookworm telling him how to fight and the Dean says there's no need for any violence. But then he tries for a cheap shot, only for Razor to be ready and decking with a right hand. Yeah, he tells him he's all bluff and no stuff. He says that bad, the proper definition, is uh, failure to acceptable standard. Why would you want to be called the bad guy? So he really eggs it on. We then get Todd Pettengill with Diesel and Big Daddy Cool says he's about to get medieval a couple of times. I mean, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't really have a character. I'm going to get medieval on him. I'm going to get medieval. Yeah, he's not... Go get it. Oh, he's a little bit bigger than Razor. Medieval Razor's hotter and a better wrestler. It's like, do we ever ever even need Kevin Nash? Better needs. Um, But yeah, Kevin Nash moves like Shaquille O'Neal. So we go to our ninth match. King Mabel with Sermo 
versus Diesel for the WWF Championship. So Mabel is carried out on a throne and a platform. And let's just say I felt so bad for the guys who had to carry him. Yeah, like the camera was only on like the guy in the front like right side or whatever, but he's selling it, but you you know that uh, they probably took an extra inch away from his height as he aged. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, like, yeah, he's selling it in his face, and you can tell he's selling it, but he's not quite overdoing it. It's, like, right on the line, but it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, even if there's six guys, that's Mabel, and then you also have him on some giant fucking, you know, plywood-painted See, I always felt heavy bad two for by four. the people back in the day carrying out Savage and Sherry at the same time, but even the two of them on the thing together were less than... I mean, hell, they were probably half the size. Of I mean, yeah. What is uh, what do you think Randy was like at that point in time? Like two thirty, two thirty-five, yeah. Like that. And yeah, Sherry's yeah. one twenty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say she's maybe. she's definitely yeah, like one fifty max. I was gonna put and her she's at a tall lady, Medusa, but she's pretty fit. They her at. Yeah, I think Sherry <laughs> Sorry, probably has a little bit more. Alundra, Alundra, Alundra. <laughs> it's hard. Good. We try. Not bad. I mean, but there's been times where we're like, well... We're... I mean, ooh. So since she's in the Hall of Fame as Alundra Blaze, can they actually do her again as Medusa? Could, but won't. Yeah. Yeah. Worth a shot. Why would they put her in as Medusa? What if... Um, because Medusa, Medusa was also great. Oh, uh, what if... Uh, because they yeah. put Charmel in. What if Vince McMahon uh, sells it off and then Khan runs it and then brings Eric Bischoff in post-Vince? <laughs> How brutal would that be? Can it be any more brutal than it is now? Good point. It would at least be exciting. Would in it a, be exciting? In a morbid way. What has Eric Bischoff ever really done? <sighs> One a, idea. Been a dickhead. One idea. It, one, yeah, one idea. You know where he stole it? We all know where he stole it. He stole it from Japan. It's true. Yeah. So the two men start pounding away on each other when Mabel hits several shoulder blocks and turnbuckle smashes, only for Big Daddy Cool to come back with multiple clotheslines. Diesel tries for a body slam, but King Mabel's too big. A little bit. It's got a, a bizarrely low center of gravity. Its weight is all directly in the center of his body. He's got big legs. So Big Daddy Cool hits more clotheslines and a shoulder tackle to send King Mabel out to the floor. Diesel then hits a plancha over the ropes on top of Mabel. But once they make it back to their feet, Big Daddy Cool is whipped back first into the ring post. Posted. King Mabel charges in only to receive a big boot before they head back into the ring where Diesel starts to work over Mabel until a reversed Irish whip leads to a side slam for a two count. King Mabel then delivers a butt splash to the small of Big Daddy Cool's back. I know, I get so scared every time they do that. Because I'm like, the guy's really big. But if somebody just legitimately sat on your spine, I don't care how big you are. It could be, it could be really bad. When you drop down, I mean, hell, you have a four-year-old that drops down on you. You know, just like that. It yeah. can mm-hmm. fuck you up. Well, it's funny you say that. Because it legitimately oh, injures wow. Diesel I, with that move. I didn't know that happened here. I do know that... Mabel or other large men who have done those spots before have injured people, but I don't have the knowledge 
because the Do way you remember that who or why like I mean. if you the way Mabel does it and the way like Yokozuna does it Mabel literally does drops his it. ass and kicks his feet out while Yokozuna keeps does his knees up. keeps his knees up yep. so he does it safer yeah well the other ones and you there's not there's no def- holding onto the turn or the ropes in yeah. the corner you yeah. can't defend like you can't do that safely if you're just dropping your ass legs out on the guy. Yeah. It's like exactly. It, like if, especially if you're, it's supposed to look impactful. It's like you could like sit on him slowly. I guess I don't know, but yeah, it's a pretty uh, evil thing to do. So Mabel rams Diesel into the turnbuckle before hitting a body slam. When Sir Mo climbs up to the apron, distracting the ref. King Mabel then begins to run the ropes, knocking the ref out of the ring, followed by missing an elbow drop on Big Daddy Cool as he rolls away to avoid. Mo climbs into the ring to help attack Diesel when Lex Luger runs down to the ring. I mean... I get. I, I mentioned last time that he was gone, but I guess he's still here. They gotta try something with these big guys, uh, especially considering that their show was smaller guys and good up until this point. I don't know. Good but, for them for trying. But Diesel then... Punches and clotheslines Lex out of the ring. And right. this is where I... Mabel then hits a clothesline to Big Daddy Cool to send him to the floor as well, following out to deliver a leg drop across the face. Lex is back up to nail Sir Mo from behind with a double axe handle, taking him to the back. Alright. So Luger was there to help Diesel? Yeah, and did Diesel just totally fuck up and Luger was nice enough to sell it? Well, or was I mean, that supposed to be a... He, he got a, attacked by Bulldog as his tag team partner uh-huh. on Raw. And Luger and Bulldog were a tag team at the time and Diesel was just filling in. So yeah, he didn't know if, if Luger was coming down there to finish what Bulldog started. Yeah, but Lex, after getting attacked, I mean, I guess that's the baby face of it all. It's like, oh, he hit me, but he didn't quite understand. But that's mm-hmm. not typically... He hit me, but, but you know, we're cool. He's, he's still my friend. That's, yeah, yeah, it's not typically how that works. He's just confused. But, and it, I know at some point in this match, the corner pad goes missing. But I don't remember the spot where it happens. I don't know. It's pretty... Uh, it was around... Trying to remember, it was does. It? Yeah, the, the corner. Yeah, yeah, they made a point yeah. of it. The corner pad goes it. missing. There's some camera angle of it. Vince even says something some, about. Yeah, is the it pads Sir, ripped off when Sermo climbed in. Probably, I'm but thinking probably it was before something. that. It was around the time that Diesel's back got smashed. I mean, obviously we're guess uh, what? We're it doesn't come into play we, in this match. Yeah. Somebody does get thrown into it, but they do not sell it on commentary or really even in the ring. So it's like, oh, I think that this whole match is just botch. Because Vince kept talking about and bringing up the Mabel squashing uh, Diesel's back, yeah. so I think he was fixated not to, on, he fucked up, he fucked up, he fucked up! Not to bury the lead, but as sloppy as our conversation about this match is... It's fitting. It's fitting. <laughs> if the shoe fits... I wear it. Wear it. If the boot fits. So back in the ring, King Mabel hits a belly-to-belly suplex as the ref makes his way back into the ring for a slow... Two counts. Very slow. Mabel then comes off the middle rope with a splash, but Big Daddy Cool avoids and goes to the middle rope himself, coming off with a flying forearm for the pin and And the the win. win. Post-match, Diesel celebrates with the title 
as Vince says his goodbyes. So interesting note, uh, once they got back to the locker room, Vince would uh, supposedly, this is stories that have been told, Uh huh. Yeah. Vince ran into the locker room and was about ready to fire Mabel for injuring his champion. For good reason, but, uh, but Diesel should not have been the champion. But Big Daddy Cool claims, so you know, we, we see where this information is coming from, that he was a good guy, and he stopped McMahon from doing so. I mean, we got a Vizzera run later. Uh, that we did. That we did. Uh, I got a question, though. Okay. We talked about Lex running in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I was so confused. And... Because of the whole allied power, because British Bulldog turned on... We talk about how that's kind of a fun tag team. You know, that's the reason why, you know, Mabel had that promo earlier. Mm -hmm. We learned about that. Yeah. They then show us British Bulldog showing up to the the arena earlier in the show. For, was he too high? Was he supposed to be the one that ran in? What was supposed to go on? And you know it's crazy. For, for our listeners, my hands are up. Yeah. Like, part of the swirl. Yeah. Why? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, Matt is full, full um, Finn Balor over here. Arms of arms agape. The, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, um, yeah, but not in glory and confusion. But the other, it's also crazy because even all the stories on the show are told so well. And like I think the Barry Except Horitz one, one mm-hmm. is done so perfectly, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's hard to pick a favorite match because I think there's a lot of really good stuff on this show. But it's crazy that the title thing is the most confusing thing outside of it being Diesel and Mabel, which is just confusing in hindsight because you're like, why, fucking why? But then the because they're. Big guys. I know, I know, but that, the, but Vince. the, yeah, yeah, and then jack off motion, and then the, but the angle is, like nonsense in the ring. It's like, it seems like either everything went wrong or like they were just like, oh, we'll figure it out when we get there. But everything else is so thought out that I would like to know what they meant to do. Maybe Davy Boy got ripped in the back, and uh, Brett wasn't there to save him in the middle of Wembley Stadium this time. Possible. I have no clue. So, gentlemen, I ask you, what are your overall thoughts of this show? Before I give those, I'd like to say that Vince does not even actually give goodbyes on this show. He never actually says goodbye. No, like that's how pissed he is. Diesel poses with the belt, and I think Jerry Lawler or Vince McMahon says, the leaders of the new generation or something like that. No actual goodbyes straight to credits, which normally it's like, oh, well, they say they're goodbyes, but they don't actually do it, which, like you said, he was pissed, and I didn't know about uh, this until you had just brought it up, but it's like, that totally makes sense, where he was just incensed. He's not in the back, able to control it the same way, because he's on mic. But, like, no goodbyes. No goodbyes, no selling the next show. Just, like, just, uh, yeah, he probably just ripped ripped those things off and bounced. Yeah, nothing he could say he knew at that time would make... The ending of SummerSlam any better. Also in the shows... It's like fade to black. Yeah. I guess getting to overall thoughts. In the shows that we've watched where we're like, like, okay, the title, the world title belt should always be the last match. Even if it's not good, that's how it should be treated. 
but you should also treat the title well enough to it for it to be even if the match isn't great for it to be like hyped or built enough for it to matter. But this match should have been maybe match not maybe four. maybe not the last match. Maybe a mid-show match. And yeah. a lot of the times when they do that they'll have something like some kind of weird event or goofy thing happening. The show doesn't have any of that. So it's like but it's like we if you take this match off of the show, the show it's only the show only only gains its how like how quality it is and how well it's presented and this is the thing that is unfortunately probably remembered because it's so like why why did we why and how when i think first to second to last match this show is good to great it's punching above its weight class i would say that yes i would agree Mostly decent show up until the slop at the end. I mean, when the the championship match is outshined by a comma match, that says a lot. I mean, the comma match is really good. And honestly, Yankum and Hart was so much better than I expected, even though it's Bret Hart. But when I'd rather watch the Blues Brothers and the Smoking Guns. I think that match had great tag team psychology and was done well. Mm -hmm. I think that was a good match. I think we're all right there. I mean, this is a solid show that is tarnished by some weird booking decisions in the main event. Yeah, and has some weird early highs with 1-2-3 and Hakushi. Great match. Spark plug match is a really good match. These are like really good early, like first half of the card opening pay-per-view matches. I mean, it's the younger guys paying their dues... Just going out there and, you know, doing ten minutes. And I don't even think the matches were ten minutes. But they're but they're technically. T- completely turning it on and proving themselves. But, you know, you go out there and put those kind of matches on. You're just over time. You're going to get over with the fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we're missing Jarrett, who we had been really high on recently, and That's been right. kind of the staple of of these last handful of uh, pay-per-views, but then Hakushi, one, two, three, spark plug, and then uh, Horowitz and Body Donna's all come in here and put on, like, an incredible first half of a show and that, like, like I would I would love to see a show that good tomorrow. My question throughout the entire show, where the fuck's Owen? Good point. Well, Owen's not here either. We're missing Owen uh, and Jerry. Well, the only, the only tag match... Is that Guns Blues match? So our tag champions are not on the show. That's right. He was part of the tag. That is a good point. But I do think that the tag match was really good. Yeah, I mean the tag match was good, but yeah, I I forgot that Owen and Yoko were the tag champs. But still, yeah. I think the show is really good, and then just really shits the bed in the last match to the point where it's like I'm not even that mad about it because this show on paper. It's like, okay, whatever. But in practice, is so much better than you expect. And then the last match is kind of exactly what you expect when everything else was, like, outdoing themselves. This is the thing that you expected to be bad, and it was worse. <laughs> it's really weird. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. 
think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of the show? Horowitz wins. Horowitz wins. Horowitz wins. And that I'm whole match it, is Horowitz wins. The whole match is like sold to the sold to you well, worked incredibly well. I think that that match might be the best because of the build and somehow the crowd is totally mm-hmm. they're so down. And like it, it feels that. it feels like a moment. We know that moment doesn't amount to what we might have liked at the time, but it feels kind of like the one, two, three kid thing where it's like, oh, here's your incredible underdog. And Horwitz actually delivers, which I didn't expect, because why would I expect that? Because no, they haven't shown me anything to expect it. Exactly. One of my favorite moments is uh, whenever Kama starts throwing punches and you can hear Paul Bearer on the outside. He's... He's using his fist. Yeah. I just, like, you don't ever hear, you don't ever hear Paul Bearer or anyone really from ringside yelling that. Yeah. So I just, I thought it was a fun, fun little moment. It was. And all, yeah, like, no, no corny on this show either, but I mean, obviously. And, no and also the, uh, the, both Undertaker and Kama, like, being in the casket for, like, 20 seconds, like, yeah. together. It was just like. We know why you did it. You did it for the pop of like they're out, they're both out. Maybe one guy will still be down and jump out. Like I get it, but it's it is silly. But and, and I thought more about what you said earlier. I think this might be the best casket match. I, I think mean, it I is. Think I think I'm gonna agree with you on that one. I think that it, the other ones like, I mean, like you I have said, the shine was... of it being new, but I think this is the most well worked for like drama and just for like what we like out of wrestling this is the more competitive and you know kama can move kamala cannot move yoko used to move but yeah i think that with the exception of the last match the show is pretty great and it's a shame about bret hart having to have a match with isaac yankum but considering how stupid it is it was pretty watchable but it I, is. I might be in the minority here. It's not good. But I like the Dean Douglas segments. I love them. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, no. I thought I didn't assume that any of us hated them. I thought they were great. No, I, I, I dug the segments. I just, I hate. You hate that it doesn't amount to anything. Well, not that it doesn't amount to anything. I, I. It does amount to something. Even back the, then, I the hated future. the Dean Douglas character just because yeah. it was like you took Shane Douglas, who is this badass dude, and turned him into a yeah. But he does. He does it really, really well. I mean. I don't know if I, I can't say that I really remember Dean Douglas. I knew that he did the character, but I wasn't really watching a whole lot here. At that point, at time. this point, yeah. And you weren't young. You weren't such a wrestling fan so, that you were like had ECW tapes or whatever. So like to know, I feel like I'm still getting Shane Douglas. It's just tweaked a little bit into a gimmick. Yes, and I don't think the gimmick is necessarily and I, bad. And he's working it well. Yeah. Now, how he uses that gimmick in a in an actual wrestling match, I'm like, do, does he or does he just? It seems more. Or like is a, it just basically Shane well, Douglas? I mean, it seems like being a, called Dean Douglas. Well, I mean, that, that'll be the thing that'll be interesting. I honestly in don't remember too many 
Dean Douglas matches. It so seems like a manager slash. Um, for sure, but it that's the thing. It does feel like a manager type gimmick. Manager slash um, like heel announcer because he's drawing on the matches yeah, a la Bobby Heenan, and it's like, well, but I know, we he know does, this guy can go, but he does wrestle. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of confusing. It's like, well. This guy can do it all, but he shouldn't do it all at the same time. So, I mean, I I assume that we'll see probably a Razor Ramon Dean Douglas match on the next on the next show, which That's on paper sounds great. I can't wait. Yeah. If, it, if it actually does happen, yeah. I can't remember how long his stay in WWE. No, it's is. only like six months or so. It's not very long. The stuff with Alundra and Bertha Faye. I just I can't get the image of Alundra on Bertha's shoulders for the victory roll, the Hurricane Rana. I mean that plays yeah. on both of them, not just no. I mean Bertha Alundra bumped and doing rolled. it, but yeah, Bertha taking the bumps and and I got scared when she did like the Hurricane Rana because I was like, like Alundra Blaze could really hurt herself if Bertha doesn't like doesn't commit and like do what she's supposed to do her part of the of the thing because of the uh, weight discrepancy. And I think that Bertha Faye is a very glow-esque character and she's doing a good job here, yeah. but it's like, who is this? I mean, nobody cares, but I don't, but, yeah, but I don't think, it, but I don't think it's bad. How about most disappointing? Main event. Lex confusion. Yeah. I don't like the finish of the Bret Hart match. Yeah. Be- I mean, yeah. I think I, I, th- I said it a while ago, like the end of the, Lawler heart feud was the feet match, and now we've extended it, and it's like, where are we going with Brett? Yeah, we could have. You know, what we could have done here is we could have not had Brett on the show, done a heavyweight tag match, and then maybe had Dean Douglas another Dean Douglas segment where he's critiquing how uh, Brett Hart isn't that good in the ring, circling things, and then we get like a Dean Douglas Brett like feud later with but i mean that's all of course hindsight but it's like oh this guy's whole gimmick is like pointing out why people aren't that great so you point out why the greatest guy isn't that great and then that's the feud and it's simple and to the point but then you get your heavyweight tag match on there and don't have to continue the foot feud because we got it we did it for two years but um, that's not the match that would disappear if Owen and Yokozuna are on the show. No, it's it's not. But this is just, you know, hi- hindsight shit. It's Skip and Barry Horowitz. Yeah, which I think Skip and Barry Horowitz... There's a lot if, of things not, that make if, this if show. Not for the latter ma- if not the, for the latter match, that might be my favorite match on the show. No, honestly, yeah, I think it's great. if of the matches, if they were to replace, they would get rid of the tag team match. And I think the tag I mean, team match is good. It's probably a po- probably most likely, but yeah, they, yeah, because yeah, they they put too much into the the skip thing to or not the skip the berry thing to take it off. They could have blown it off on a raw though. Yeah, but That's they the did thing. it. Yeah, but they did it so perfectly here. It was so good. I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. I'm, I mean, either one of those match, either okay. one of those matches yeah. could have been taken off easily. I, I will take. I'm not. I'm glad that they were here. I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. No, no, I agree. You're like, but it's like in. In the history of everything, like, I would rather not change this card than keep Barry Horowitz and Skip on this pay-per-view. Because I think it makes this yeah. pay-per-view special. It gives it that feel-good, heartwarming... Yeah, and it's like a, it's a huge win. hope spot for fans. We're like, oh, this guy could be a thing. 
They're behind him. That's right. He's he's the one guy that stuck around with the company for all these years and yeah. all these losses, and, and now it's his turn. And Skip's got the heat, and obviously is great in the ring. Uh, but I think the first four matches is a great first four matches of a pay-per-view, most, or a, just a show, wrestling show in general. Most disappointing to me, I think, I mean, aside from the main event, shenanigans, Doc Hendricks annoyed the shit out of me on this show. Yeah. He it seems like he was didn't do extra. much, but when he was there, it was like, chill out, bud. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, early Pettingale, where it was too much. he was back there getting fucked up with Davey. <laughs> I feel like Davey might be more into the downers and talks more into the uppers, but who knows. That's a disappointing moment. Like, why show us Davey boy? It Still, like, I don't get it. No. I don't get it. I mean, we don't, we don't quite understand anything at all about the last match. Which is a crazy, like I said, a crazy oversight like, on their part. Okay, so or a crazy mistake because everything here else made would have sense. been the best. I mean, just so we all realize, this is the last time we see Lex Luger. Yes, in a WWF in a screen. WWF ring. So why? Completely. Is, yeah, so why? Why him? But Vince doesn't know this. Yeah. Okay. They they don't know that he's leaving. Yeah. One one uh. One the better the better way. To book this would have been for Davy Boy to have run down to the ring and affected the match somehow. And then all of a sudden, Lex come running out to save Diesel from Davey, from Boy. Davey Boy. And this sets the Davy Boy-Lex feud in motion, which is what they were going to do. And also... If that happens and Lex leaves, it doesn't matter because we still have Davy Boy and Diesel, so it's not as glaring of a like question mark. It's like, oh, if and he it's, leaves, it's Diesel's very next. Nobody's that challenger. mad because uh, because look at Davy Boy Smith. Davy Boy Smith has bigger pedigree in this company than uh, Luger. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. I mean, you put that the match itself not great, no. but you put that shenanigans in, it makes more sense. It builds. A feud, or if Lex does leave like he does, you have your automatic, your next challenger for the title in Davy Boy. Yeah. Sitting right there. Absolutely. Because he came in and messed you up. Yeah. So. And I'm there's like, a million ways to save Diesel oh yeah, from Davy Boy. Obviously, we're doing this, what, 27 I, years yeah, later? Never, yeah, absolutely. But. But it, it, it's almost like it makes too much sense. It makes no sense for Lex to come out and there to be diesel? and there to be confusion to what his motivations are. Yeah, like, there's an exposed turnbuckle that you, the consummate note taker, didn't even quite realize. I didn't even know that there was an exposed. Turnbuckle. I had to rewind a few times to make sure that was a thing, and it happened. And then tried to figure out where it happened. Couldn't quite figure out where it happened. Saw it get used. Somebody gets whipped into it, and they don't even talk about it on the mic, and it. It's not like sold as a thing. But maybe it was just a defaulty yeah. turnbuckle pad. It, it just got knocked off yeah. instead yeah. of it actually being a part of the match. Yeah. Or maybe it, yeah. it happened just before the the the, the run, run in. in. Yeah. Well, no, the the Mabel dropping down on Diesel. Uh-oh. And maybe that was the spot where he got knocked into that, and that allowed him the time to drop his ass. It doesn't. Thing is, is unfortunately it doesn't matter, and that's the problem. Yeah. How about best performer of the night? That's hard. Uh, it's not that hard. I mean, it is hard, but it's sunny. 
Oh, well, I mean, come on. I texted you. I was like, oh, I'm in love. No. I'm absolutely hate in love. I hate to say this. I'm in love. Anytime she's on a show, she's going to be the best performer for me. I'm in love. Mm-hmm. She's so hot. Hopefully she enjoys it while it lasts. She's so hot and so mean. She's just terrible now. Yeah. I mean, She yeah. just gets hotter as she goes. I mean, yeah, I'm, there's... Her and um, Missy Hyatt create a relationship later in life. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that's oh, nearly as hot. dynamic duo they are. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that I'm past my joke answer. Yes. It's tough. I think Hakushi and Holly and... Barry. And, and Barry. And I think Skip. it might be Barry. Yeah, I, I think it's Barry. Like I said, I think that's... I think... I mean, Razor, we, we all admit, Razor, Razor and, and Sean, because yeah. we didn't say it. I put it on the short list. Yeah, it's funny that this show... Because it's definitely the best WWF match that we've seen in 95. Yeah. This show is so bizarre that, like, we're talking about it for 10, 15 minutes, and we haven't even brought that match up because there's so many other weird things to talk about where it's like, oh, well, do we even really need to... Do we even need to recognize that this is, like, fucking where it's at? It's like, oh, so, like, let's give the flowers to the other things that are probably lost in the giant cloud that the headlining match casts over the I mean, show. I think that's why it's a underrated classic is what you hear about this match. Because I'll admit, I think this ladder match is better than the first one. So I was going to ask that same Yes, I, I, think right that, I think that what they did There's was... There's more psychology. They, they pump it up. They, they, and they don't go too far either. They just like, they give it a, just a little bit more... A little bit more violence and a, a little bit more like thought and a little bit more drama, but they don't do the same match again and they don't overdo it. They just push it enough forward. And the nice thing about that is that this match is still oddity, a special thing, that they're given the freedom and the luxury of being able to just push it up like 15%. Because if you push it up too far, or if somebody else was doing these kinds of matches for the last full year, then you know you don't get to just push it up that just enough to not turn it into like a uh, spectacle, but potentially in a negative way. It could still be a crazy spectacle, and it could be more bigger moves, more violent, blah blah blah. But you don't need to do that. If you're the only guys that have done it, you can just push it up just enough more, which is nice. There's not, you know, a six-man tag ladder match in your house, too. Because then you can't do this. How about most surprising? That Yankum was tied to Lawler, because I was like, oh, Isaac Yankum's on this show. Oh, he has a match with Bret Hart. Oh, it's still tied to the feud that finished that was weird because i didn't expect yankum and i didn't expect him to be tied to lawler and i didn't expect it to be tied to the foot thing that was the end of the feud it blew my mind outside of that i guess it would be the dean douglas of it all and then the how incredibly intelligently done the horowitz and uh, skip package Maybe the best package we've seen in WWF outside of, like, fuck, I can't think of a better package 
Because even like the Mega Powers, I don't know if the packages were that great. It's just that it was such a thing for such a long time that you knew. But like the fact that this all happened off pay-per-view and then the package gave you everything you needed and then it actually delivered was impressive. Um, Maybe it's where they learned learned how to pa- learn how to package. That anybody at any point thought main event Diesel Mabel, great idea. I mean, it's the it's where the big boys play. <laughs> like you know, in a way, it's Something. like it's like yeah, I get it. Where it's like, oh yeah, why would you do that? But you still need a big boot, I guess. And Diesel's got a big boot. For me, the most surprising thing, because I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago, maybe, that 1995 has not been a great year for wrestling. And that, and then they put this show on. And other than the main event, which we've discussed. Yeah. Like, this is probably the best show in 1995. Bottoms to top because we've talked about like oh yeah there's a couple matches on this show and uh, this show wasn't hard to watch but this show bottom like match one to eight is wildly compelling and there is no bullshit there's no there's no they're not killing any time with like some silly segment or whatever it's just match 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 and they all like makes sense and kind of over deliver mm-hmm. but on that point then. How crazy is it that because the main event is so bad that it just completely overshadows the show? Yeah. It's like when you go out and have a great meal, great wine, great service, the steak was cooked perfect. The, mm-hmm. the sex is were, bad. No, I didn't go that far. <laughs> the appetizers are great, and then you get to the dessert, and it's jello. Good, good, good and clean way to put that. Yeah, yeah it's like, oh, well, uh, we have fruit cake or whatever because yeah, i mean this was back then you know SummerSlam. people were paying 40 50 bucks whatever for for that show and honestly i think they got their 40 50 bucks worth that's, that's the lasting memory they have is that match yeah it's a real sour end and the thing Absolutely. is like if you just put the champion match in the middle of the card if you put it right after like birth of Faye and alundra blaze and it still stinks just as bad mm-hmm. We'll forget by the like, we'll we'll be like, well, whatever. This match ruined Kevin Nash for me. Like anytime he was champion again after that, this match is what I went back to in my head every time I thought of him as champion yeah. because I haven't it seen was that bad an insane amount of Kevin Nash, but I've never found anything about him impressive outside of like his size. He's got a nice face. He's big. Yeah. I mean, he went from the guy who was almost fired after the Royal Rumble in 94 to being champion Good at point. SummerSlam in 95. Yeah. And like that was the this match here showed them that maybe we pulled the trigger a little too soon. Yeah, and if this match wasn't on the show, does somehow Yankum and I guess and I shouldn't even blame it all on him. Because, I mean... I mean, this is Vince's fault. It's not his fault. No. No, but he yeah, shouldn't have this, been put in that position. This match here is what completely ruined the image of Kevin Nash for me because I, I didn't take him seriously after this match because that's all I could think of was that shitty SummerSlam in 95. I mean, it's it's akin to, like, Sid and Diesel. It's like, well, at least they had a gimmick in here to, like, try to cover it up. 
but that shit fucking stunk. And this stinks too. <laughs> like, there's just no, Kevin Nash can't do that much. And he doesn't have the charisma, the character, or the goodwill that Hulk Hogan has. And not to give flowers to Hogan, but you, but the man, it was going to work for him one way or the other. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Hulk Hogan had held the WWF Championship for eight months when he would meet the undefeated Undertaker in the gravest challenge on November 27, 1991 at Survivor Series in Detroit, Michigan. The Undertaker, born 1965 in Houston, Texas, grew up playing basketball before deciding to focus on professional wrestling. He would make his debut in 1987, losing to Bruiser Brody in the Dallas Sportatorium for the WCCW. He would move to the USWA, where he would defeat Jerry Lawler to win his first championship. By 1989, Taker would join WCW to replace an injured Sid Vicious to team with Dan Spivey as the Skyscrapers, before going his own way under the guidance of Paul Heyman. But it wasn't until he made his debut at the Survivor Series 1990 as the mystery partner of the Million Dollar Team that his impact was felt. For his accomplishments, The Undertaker would be inducted into the WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. After defeating Hogan with the help of Nature Boy Ric Flair, Taker would be forced to defend the title just one week later in a rematch. Bum, bum, bum. I didn't um, quite realize that he had won a championship from Lawler before the WCW run. Or like before he shows up as Mean Mark Callis, which is... The first time most people remember seeing him yeah. in the Skyscrapers, everybody's favorite tag team, the Skyscrapers, everybody. I know it's mine. Yeah. Next week, Monday Night Nitro from September 4th, 1995. The very first episode. Oh, from the Mall of America, guys. Right. I've seen this one multiple times. I know what the first match is, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. So does everyone else that's listened to this mm-hmm. show, because you mention it more times time. than I know. it should be. I'm, I'm, Do you know I'm what excited. the last match is, though? Uh, it's the same last match on the debut episode as the last match end episode. What? Isn't it? It's Mind is Ric Flair blown it? and, and it's, it's, is it Hogan? No, no, because he won. did Postamania. Yeah, Hogan won there at the end. Um, is that the last match? Because I think it's the second match of the show. Actually, is it? Was it the second? Well, we'll find out next now. week for sure. I think it's the second. Maybe match. I'm wrong. Mm. I haven't but there might be film. a lot of it might be this it might be the main event but there's a whole lot of maybe some yeah, I can't remember there's a lot of fluff no Postamania Hogan does have a match Postamania brother no, I wasn't talking about on the debut I was talking about the very end like the finale of Nitro in oh. in the 2000s oh okay yeah. first and oh. okay I thought you were meaning like the main event of this show is okay. the same main event as the no. final mm. 
Wow. Totally confused. I may on have what said that. Saying. That's not where I was going. No, no, no. I know what you mean. Though. I go, <laughs> we get it now. I got what you're going. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, be, that match is on that show. On I mean, this yeah. This will be a fun show to watch. I mean, it's obviously a tent pole, and you got to cover it. Oh, yeah. And it's not in Philly or in Pennsylvania at all. Where's so. the Mall of America? Minnesota. Mm. That's right. Something delicious will come our way. I hope so. Music for this week's show is Real City by Ruben Ayala. And Diesel won our main event, so we play his theme song, Diesel Blues, by Jim Johnston. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes... You can hit us up on our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.